In part two of a series in John 15, um, it's kind of a famous passage, the vine and the branches. And so last week we talked about faith, uh, that the whole idea here is that God is calling us to a program. He's calling us to a, a commitment, a relationship, a, uh, um, you can turn it around or over, there's a drawing somewhere. I, think, I just don't think you're strong enough. It's got to flip. It's got to flip. It'll be upside down. Come on, man. Look at those forearms. You got to be able to do it. There we go. I would have had it the first time. Just, yeah. Um, so uh, so what, we, um, what we talked about is really this relationship. Jesus tries to make it clear, as teachers do. They try and clarify and, and, um, and just help simplify uh, what it is they're trying to teach so that it won't remain abstract, abstract or obscure, but it'll have a, a point to it. I mean, a real sharp point that'll drive home and, and get deep, deep, deep down because unless it gets deep enough down, our paradigms don't change. Does that make sense? So a teacher like Jesus will use a metaphor, an analogy to help refine that point and try and drive it down. And what he basically says is, I'm the vine and you're the branches. Unless you remain in me, uh, you will not bear any fruit. And if you don't remain in me, um, you'll dry up, wither away. If you remain in me, you'll bear much fruit. And so he's saying, look, the program here, this, this thing that I'm doing, involves you being connected to me. The call, depending on your translation, is to abide or to remain, to, to basically be connected in relationship, organic relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, and that's a big deal. It's not to accept a proposition, a fact that you're like, oh, okay, yeah, the speed of gravity is 9.81 meters per second, you know, yada, yada, yada. It's not like taking a, ah, oh, it's okay, and then you just move on. This is a relationship. It's a commitment. It's like marriage or a business partnership or anything else that has huge implications. Um, he is asking for something more than a cognitive belief that God exists. He's asking for you to be vitally connected to him that means that we that that i that you need to have faith um, christ is calling us to faith because this requires something of us and it scares us because we lose control we're no longer driving the car we're no longer autonomous we're no longer independent we're connected to something and so we're afraid and uh, it requires faith to overcome that fear and to trust Christ, that he knows what he's talking about, and that he really is a good shepherd, and he really will take care of us, Psalm 23. Do you believe in Psalm 23? I mean, it's funny, like, we have all these fancy creeds, you know, I think it'd be really easy just to throw Psalm 23 on the board and say yes or no. Um, that's faith. Okay, so last week we talked about faith. Are you willing, with the difficult circumstances, the trials, the things that scare you, to let go a little bit extra and be connected into Christ and that he becomes your security and your strength in your life rather than running and striving to find it. The Old Testament, my Old Testament prof in, in grad school said you can sum up the Old Testament in either we, we submit to God or we strive to bring security to ourselves through our own kind of uh, workings and resources, etc. Um, either we submit to God 
in faith or we strive out of self-reliance to fix our own situation. Um, so, in our circumstances and our fear, are we going to submit? Are we going to remain? Are we going to abide? That's faith. Today we're going to talk about the second part of this thing. And so we're going to start in verse 5 and kind of move forward. And the second word here, if, if last week was faith, the word this week is love. So now you guys are bored all of a sudden. Just like whew, wave of boredom went over the crowd. And images of Britney Spears came to everyone's mind. Like, not, I mean, like, because she sings about, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> but like love is boring to our culture is what I'm trying to get at. Um, and then the following week, we're going to talk about joy. Let's just move off that. Uh, so faith, and then love, and then next week, we're going to talk about joy. Um, and then we just might keep going with one word things, because it's fun. Uh, but we're going to talk about love today. So let's pick it up, and I'm going to just, we're going to leave the text on the screen for a good chunk of time. And you know what? Some of you might not be able to see the bottom, but that's okay. I'll read um, if the angle's wrong or something with the whiteboard. But we're going to leave it, and I'm going to kind of just give some comments as we go, and then we're going to pivot off that. But it says this, starting in verse 5 of John 15, I am the vine, and you are the branches. If a man remains in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. And let's just stop there for a minute. Jesus is picking up out of Isaiah and Ezekiel Old Testament language about worthless wood. And it's not good for anything other than for burning, for fuel. Uh, when you go up into the Ochicos uh, or when you go into the Cascades or when you go to any mountains and you are looking to start a campfire, what do you do? You pull out the bundle of prepackaged wood that you brought with us because we're all, Bend really isn't country people, we're city people. Um, no, you, you, you go scour the surrounding area looking for what? Dead branches. You don't pull the live ones off the tree. Why? It's, it's not what they're good for. They don't burn. They're not dry. They're alive. And, and they, they have leaves going and everything else is happening with them. But you look for dead branches that are apart from the tree, lying on the ground, and you gather those things up. You bring them back where you have the rocks or whatever, and you put them there, and you, you build a fire. Okay, Jesus is picking up on that logic as expressed in the Old Testament with relation to God's people. That God's people can be alive and green and vital and that, that they are uh, bearing fruit and that they are healthy and that they are making proud the person who owns uh, the vine or the tree and, and it's, it's alive, you enjoy it. I like my aspen trees, they, they're alive. Even though there's no like... Sh- quaking leaves on them in the, in the winter, like I know come spring that the leaves will be there. Um, I'm proud of them. I enjoy them. If they were dead, if that tree was dead, if there weren't going to be any leaves, I would be disappointed with, frustrated with, angry with um, whoever transplanted it, which is my father-in-law, um, like because of this dead tree. And it would either just get thrown away or, or chopped up and used for wood, okay? So Jesus is really trying to say, look, um, I'm the vine now. So in the Old Testament, the vine was the commandments. It was the commandments. So you have to remain in, in obedience, in commandments. You have to remain like uh, where, where God has called you to be, living a certain kind of life. Um, that is, is where you've got to remain. And if you stop remaining there, 
um, then you will lose life and you will die. And what we learned about the Old Testament was that the law kills, but the Spirit gives life. That in some sense, the Old Testament was a foreshadowing of why we needed Christ to come, die for us, and then to, to promise us the Holy Spirit who is going to sustain and give us the grace to do the things, to bear the fruit that, that we always wanted to bear. Okay? So in the Old Testament, God's analogy was remain in the commandments, remain righteous, remain right, um, remain in the law, and, and if you depart from that, you're, you're going to wither and die, and then you're no good. And Jesus now says, look, I'm the vine, Okay, not the commandment anymore, but I'm the vine and you're the branches. So you're not remaining in the law and the commandments, you're remaining in me. I am your source of life. I'm the thing that empowers you. I'm the thing that, that gives you uh, grace and sustains you and challenges you and motivates you and speaks to you and calls you to something higher so that you can bear fruit. The law never was going to be able to make something alive. It just showed us that we needed forgiveness, that we in and of ourselves, can't ever attain perfection. Okay, so Jesus changes the metaphor. Now, the interesting thing here is just a little side, side note is that uh, this passage is part of what the medieval church used when they um, burned heretics. Okay, because what they did is they said, uh, Jesus says, I am the vine, and they took that and said, well, Jesus now is the body of Christ, so the church now is the vine, and you have to remain in the church. I mean, the church was the only game in town for most of the Middle Ages. So it was real easy to say, if you're out, you're bad. If you're in, you're good. And, and so the church was divine because it's the, the body of Christ. It takes on Christ's body in, in some sense. And so you have to remain in the church if you're alive. And if you are not in the church anymore through heresy or excommunication or whatever, you're outside of the church. In some sense, now you're dry wood, dead wood. And in the case of heretics, um, at least in certain places and certain times, they were gathered up like dried wood um, and burned as fire. Does that make sense? Okay, there's a danger to taking the Bible too literally, right? Um, this is not what Jesus is saying. But that's where some of that came from. And so um, this is not what it's saying. We're not to, to stay connected to the institution. We're, we're supposed to stay connected to the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, the Holy Spirit was not some glue to, to glue two inanimate objects together. It was the glue that allows us to be in fellowship with God and with Christ. It's, it's the person who, who moves and knows us, and that's why the, the New Testament uses the phrase fellowship with the Spirit. Okay, If you think the Holy Spirit's just some force, some inanimate kind of force, or like a stamp or a seal, um, we're not taking seriously the vitality, the, the personhood of the Holy Spirit that we can have a relationship that helps keep us united. Okay, so um, all that to say, we get the analogy now that we have to remain not in, in, in the institution, but with God. If we don't, we literally dry up, and the only thing that, that there's value there is, is, is uselessness, to be burned up. Um, and so let's pick it up again and say, so now if you remain in me, and my words remain in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. It's an interesting little bit on prayer here. I, I, I would venture that, to guess that most of us struggle with prayer. And it's because we don't understand prayer. Um, we think that we're on, on the, the bottom of the, the chain 
and we ask for things to be handed down to us, and that's what prayer is. I want, um, I'd like to have, I'd like to enjoy, but we're, we're kind of the caboose here, and it's just like, bring it all down to me, and I'm not getting the things I want, so God, why aren't you answering my prayer? When we understand that we're vitally connected to this, this process, that there's interdependence here, and that, that the whole thing here is that we are now an extension of what Christ is doing. And what Christ is doing is bearing fruit through us. Okay. You are a part of the body of Christ. You are independent. A foot is not the same as a head. There's in independence there. But there's also interdependence. Okay. They are tied together or organically, logically, biologically. There's interdependence there as well as independence. We pray out of what? Independence. And our prayer should be as independent people with our own weaknesses and needs saying, God, this is who I am. I'm not as strong as this person. I don't have the personality of this person. I don't have the money of that person. I'm me and I'm weak in my independence. Yet you want me to be tied to this body, this church, this family, this thing that you're doing. That I'm, I'm an interdependent part of the expression of you in this world, the, the body of Christ. And so God, in my weakness, my independence, give me the ability to be fruitful as a part of your program. So prayer is, is starting from where we're at, independence, but then filters through our calling and our role in the church, the body of Christ, which is interdependence. So it ends up looking a lot differently. So Jesus, here's a perfect example, in his independence says, God, I don't want to die. The night before he was crucified, he's like, I'm terrified, I'm scared, I'm weak, uh, I don't want to die. And then he finishes his prayers and he says, but not my individual unique will be done, your will be done, because I'm a part of what you're doing in this world. And ultimately, you bring yourself glory through me. And so Jesus over and over says, I don't speak my own words. I speak the words the Father gives me. I'm a part of his program. There's a relationship here and there's an extension here. And that's me moving out, connected to him. So prayer is, is radically different than what we make it. And when we pivot our prayer, and we, it's e you don't need to be trained, by the way, to start from felt need. None of my kids need to be taught you're hungry now. You should complain about being hungry. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, you're tired now. Like, you should complain about... I mean, we know how to start from independence. The conversation with God is, ought to be in prayer about the difficult spot, which is, oh, man, God, this is... Faith is hard. Uh, there's sacrifice here, fears here. It's not easy for me to do what in some sense is counterintuitive and to reach out and to be bold. I need strength. I need confidence. I need confirmation. I need these things. And so prayer ought to be starting from that felt need voice, moving through what it is we need. So let's go back to what Jesus says here. So if you remain in me, then you're, you're not in control anymore. I'm breathing life into you, and, and fruit will necessarily come from that, and that fruit is dictated by what the whole program is going on here. You're not, you know, you're not putting pears on a, a raspberry bush. You know what I mean? You, the fruit is an extension of this whole thing. The program is an extension of this whole thing. So if you're a part of that program, if you remain in me, if this is all organic and biological, then, then this is the amazing thing. Ask whatever, whatever you wish. Don't keep silent. Don't bite your tongue. 
Ask whatever you wish. Why? Because what you wish for is going to be help and sustenance and the ability to remain because your, your greatest desire is going to be to hang on. When faith is challenged and you have doubts and you're afraid, what's ultimately the greatest desire if you really care about God's program? Give me the ability to hang on. Give me the ability to continue to bear fruit in this, this difficult situation. Give me comfort because I just want to die. You know how many people in the Bible pray that prayer? Jesus, I just wish I could die. I mean, you wouldn't think that would be in Scripture. Like, oh, you shouldn't pray like that. That's like borderline, you know, God's prophets wouldn't talk like that. We wouldn't see that in Scripture. Like, it's amazing how many prayers in Scripture are like that. I need to hold on to this. Sustain me because everything else is, is hard. So Jesus says, ask whatever you wish and it'll be given to you because you're going to be able to pray, not my will, Father, but yours be done. And that's the the next verse. This is to my Father's glory. Not to our own glory, but to the Father's glory. Glory. As we continue, it says this. Now, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. And if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this. That he, I, by the way, I, the dot, dot, dot means I skipped just a little clause because that's next week. Um, so if you're like, whoa, where did something go? Um, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. And then it closes this way. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. He, he says it again, reassurance. Now this is my command. This is, this is what I'm asking you to do to keep you in me, that you love each other. So that's kind of the whole text, but I want to break it down into a formula here to help kind of get at this. And so the formula is these three chunks. It's this, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So last week we talked about this. That there has to be a connection here. That's, that's the story of faith. It's the gospel. It's, it's what Christ is calling us to. It's what he's enabling us to do. It's this organic, vital relationship with him. Abide in me. Remain in me. This is what we talked about last week. So it starts that way. But the second part of this formula is this. Now, if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. Okay? Um, so if, if we obey his commands, we're going to remain in his love. That, that love is what's flowing through this. That's kind of, in some sense, who he is. So Jesus is doing something really interesting. John says in, in 1 John that God is love. Jesus is now saying, remain in me. Now, a little bit further, you will remain in my love. The actual essence of who I am, the sustenance of who I am, just like with God, is love. So he says, now, if you obey my commands, um, you're going to remain in me, okay, in my love. And the last part of this is really interesting. Because what does God command of us? What does Christ command of us? Okay, so I want to obey. I want to do what you say so that I can remain in your love and have this relationship going on. And Jesus brings it full circle and says, yeah, my command is this. My command is love. And we see something right off the bat about love. And we can just leave that up there for a majority of the time. But we see something right away that's interesting about love. Um, one, love begets love. 
Love fuels love. When you are loved, you want to return love. It, it, it's the way God designed love. And because it has this reciprocity there, this organic reciprocity, there's something really unique about love that, that should be a part of every marriage ceremony. And that's this. It is the nature of love to bind two things together. It is the nature of love to bind two things together. So with the rest of our time, we're just going to talk about two things out of this about love. We're going to talk about if we abide in Christ, if we do this, we're in his love. So I need five volunteers, bold, energetic volunteers. This is group participation time. So um, five people I need to come on the stage right now quicker the better. Yeah, you don't have to raise your hand. Just get up and come on the stage. It's going to be super fun. These are for like the kinetic learners. They're going to get so much out of this sermon because um, they're like a part of it. That's only three because the other guy's playing the keyboard. So we need two more. And then come stand up in front here. Come, come stand right up in front here. And uh, all right, where are my other two? This is going to be like Kip and Brandon if, if no one comes quick. All right, one, two. All right. So Jesus was all about simplifying. Um, I'm going to try and use my own like, little analogy here and simplify too. Okay, so you can come all the way down here by yourself. Okay. Now I want you guys to join hands. Okay. Now this is, this is what God is doing. And, and with the or, organic connection that is connected from him, it says in, uh, that he is love. Okay, so we're going to cue the music, and you guys got to do the waves. You might want to take one step away from each other. You, you get, it, it's sloppy, that's fine, but you got, as soon as the music goes, then you got to do the dance. All right, cue music. Yeah. No, no, you're fine. All right, all right, that's good for now, okay? So, so that's, that's the dance, okay? You over here, do the wave with a group of people. Like, you can't do it, so don't try. You don't, you don't want to try. You just can't do it. So you're all by yourself over here. There's no music. Uh, there's no, like, spiritual life coming from, I mean, you're not connected. There's no music going, nothing like that. Um, you're all by yourself, okay? Um, now, if you grab his hand, so, like, now all of a sudden we've connected you. And then the music starts all of a sudden. What happens? Okay. 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 All right. That's good. Stay there. Stay there. Now disconnect again. Now, I don't know if you're like me. I memorized it in the King James Version because it was like one of the few verses I memorized as a kid. But 1 John 4, 7, and 8, um, there's like a little jingle to it. Um, if you loveth not, he who loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. It's the first passage I've ever memorized on stage. So, because um, I usually forget, I have to read it. But if you loveth not, you knoweth not God, because God is love. So God is love, okay? And if you do not love, then there's no connection, okay? But let's reverse that a little bit. If there is a connection, then what follows? Okay. All right. All right, so... So let me, I want you guys to visually get this one more time, okay? When you abide in Christ, when you are, are in Christ and this relationship is there, you can't do it dispassionately. You can't do it as if it's like um, static. 
To be vitally connected to him means all of a sudden the energy, the juice, the dance, like, happens. Okay, you guys can go ahead and sit down. So, um, thank you. I'll tell you one thing. I understand this because I'm a farmer. I farm raisins and grapes for 37 years. <laughs> he's, uh, that gave me an idea. He says he's been a farmer for 30 years um, and gave me this analogy. If you're going to drink wine, do you want it from a, a vine that's alive or like a grape from something that's been sitting there for like, like three, four months just on the ground? Can you know what I'm talking about? So, um, so there's, this, there's this relationship where to be in, vitally in this relationship with Christ, I can't remain distinct. That's where the energy, where the love, where, where that relationship happens. And, and, it's, and it's vital. What would cause us not to remain in that? What would cause us not to remain in that is, is to get so obsessed with the fruit over here that instead of having our hands reaching into Christ and, and, and saying that this is the idea, it's all about this, this follows, I don't have to do this, God does this, it's the dance, you know, I connect hands, it happens, but over here is where it's all at. When we take our eyes off this and start looking at the fruit, we begin to personalize it, we begin to create an idea of significance, we begin to choose the fruit that we want to go after, and the whole thing kind of falls apart. Okay, um, when we choose our own fruit, here's what happens. Um, we all want to be the quarterback. Have you ever seen a team where there's not a coach directing it? When there's a coach directing it, it's like, okay, you're going to play this, you're going to play this, you're going to play this. If it's just backyard and there's no coach and you throw a bunch of boys together, they like play for 30 minutes, they argue for an hour and 30 minutes. No, I want to be the quarterback. I want to be the running back. No, I want to be the quarterback. I mean, there's no defense. Nobody covers anybody. No, like, everyone always gravitates toward glory. If we're part of a team, and there's this interdependence and this connectedness, and there's a coach that's saying, no, 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 you play for my team. I've got my agenda and my purposes, and it's going to come through you. All of a sudden now, that coach determines and dictates where significance lies. Why do churches have, I mean, it's been said before that church is a lot like a football game. There's, there's uh, 22 people on the field desperately in need of rest, and there's 70,000 people in the stands desperately in need of exercise. You know? Why, why do we sometimes create this awkward thing where a few people do all the work and then everybody else just sits around? Because we've turned church uh, into something that's just ours and we don't sense the connection from the head. This church, this family, this community belongs to Christ. It's his. And he, like a head coach, the head of that body, is, is, he got, he's got ideas for us. There's not a single person sitting here that doesn't have a role to play in what Christ is trying to do through this community. Boy, that's like, whoa, okay. Um, nobody look at me. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's like, ah, you know, even I have things that I got to do that, that, that I need to do to edify the body. We all are called to things that we need to do and do better and do more of and enjoy and let go more and more of quarterback, running back, like, or whatever you grew up thinking. And you just say, I... You know, and here's the quick litmus test. Do you want to know what God has for you in this church? Um, what you are really good at, 
So in the Old Testament, God wanted his tabernacle built, and he said, go get the best artisans. So you look at your experiences, your education, your skill sets. What you are really good at is a great place to start with what God wants from you in the body, because you can do that better than anyone else can do it, okay? Second thing is this. You look to your spiritual gifts, which are different than what you were naturally good at. Spiritual gifts are, God said, I want you to operate. Moses was not naturally gifted at speaking. He was afraid of leading. God said, ah, just do it. I'll give you the power. You see? So when God calls us to something, and the input is this, and the output is here, and you're like, how did that happen? And and you go, wow, there must have been amplification here. Like the input into your amplifier, and then the output's a lot higher. There's amplification. That's God's um, covenant with you saying when you operate in this you just trust me I'll add the juice okay so when people tell you you have this spiritual gift um, when you do it it just brings about fruit man good stuff happens it's, you know God has gifted you in this area when you operate in that capacity good stuff that's the second place you should be working so you want to know where you're supposed to play on the team you just look at those two things um, and then I think the third thing is this God will never look at you if you do something thankless, if you sacrifice, if you submit because there's a need and no one else is doing it. God will never look at submission or humility or that kind of service, servanthoodness, washing feet, and go, oh, well, you shouldn't have done that. You should have held out for quarterback. Okay, so that one's kind of always okay, all right, just to say that. Um, And that's kids ministry, by the way. Um, All right, so we're in love and then here's the thing that, that we do. This is how we obey. Um, we ourselves are commanded to love. To love. Okay, now this is a hard one this week, okay? Um, I cry maybe like once every 10 years, okay? So I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm supposed to get up and break down what love is. Love is like to a group of people, and they know right away by looking at me, like he's not a feeler. How does he get to say what love is? Like he's disqualified. You know, he cries once every ten years. So I've really, I mean, I've really wrestled with this all week. Um, um, by the way, I have a soft inner side, just so you know. Um, what really is love? And I think this is—if you hear any one thing—hopefully this will help us understand something. Okay. We naturally look to the most pure example of love um, that, that we see on a daily basis, and then we usually define love there, and by doing that, we miss what's behind it, okay? The thing we do is we look at the empathetic person. People like me look at somebody that's super empathetic, um, and we're just like, wow, like, I can't do that. I can't sit there and just ooze or, like, have, like be in that other person's passion or suffering, empathy, okay, literally what the word means to be in it. Compassion means to, to have it with, you know, empathy literally means to enter into it. You feel their pain. I feel your pain. Like that is such a, a ready, pure form of love and connectedness that we look to that and we're like, man, that person is loving. You get what I'm saying? And then the rest of us are like, well, I'm less loving than that person because I'm just not as empathetic. What we miss is what that empathy is accomplishing. The essence of love, what did I say earlier? The essence of love is to, say it, bind. The essence of love is to bind two things together, okay? 
what does empathy do? It's like rocket fuel for binding two things together. Okay? But what it's accomplishing that's really a value, you don't take the empathetic person and say the value is, is your body language. No, the value is the fruit of taking two people and no longer somebody is in their own pain alone, but they're in that pain together with somebody else that's bearing those burdens. It's the togetherness, the unity, that's the essence, the substance of what's going on. So when Jesus prays a couple chapters on from now in John 17, he gives us the whole program here. He says, God, protect their unity, that they may be able to be united with us, with each other, and that Ultimately, when this whole thing develops, we all would be united. See, see, shalom, the way things are supposed to be when God created it, was for everything to be in this tight relationship. When we go back to the way it was supposed to be, when, when justice reigns and things are the way they're supposed to be, we will be in tight relationship. There will be unity. Okay? The, what everything is driving for is unity under God to the glory of God. That's, that's, that is where it is all driving for, okay? So what does love accomplish that makes it so pure that it says in Galatians, it's never wrong, there's never a law against it. And then in 1 Corinthians 13, the chapter on love, it says, love never fails. Why does it never fail? Because if you really go into a relationship or a situation and you have as your primary directive to build up or to, to grow together, that never fails, that attitude that is, that is at the heart of this universe, that is the heart of God, that is the heart of Christ, that attitude to build it all up underneath God to God's glory, that can never be wrong. It can never fail. Even if it doesn't work with that person, someone's going to begin to notice that there's something unmistakable about this vibe, this, this motive, this thing called love that, that's magnetic, that's contagious, so empathy gives us a glimpse into what love is all about, and it's all about unity, okay? Now, here's how we can realize that guys like me have hope in this world, okay? To be really, really at the heart of it, loving. Because God gave me a different personality. But my personality, um, aside from trying to compete with the empathetic people for who gets to love the best, like... That competitive, driven personality can be leveraged or, or when it's in submission to God is leveraged, not for competition, but for, for the building together and the growing towards unity of all things. Now, there's some guys out there that are like me. I mean, that you, know, you understand that. Like, man, if I really take my capabilities, my capacity, like if I use it for myself, I can wreak destruction. I can wreak dis- destruction. Um... I might get what I want, but man, I'll, I'll leave carnage, you know. But if I really say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, my focus, my intent is to help this, this peace, this unity, the body, the community, everything being built up, the relationships so that we're encouraging one another and we're together, all the one another's in scripture, right? All that kind of stuff. If I leverage it for that, like I can actually do some good, like some needs get met, some people find relationship, they find God and, and it just comes together. Wow, I'd much rather submit my gifts, my talents, the way God made me to that agenda, that fruit, rather than just getting my own way. So when we understand that unity is the substance, all of your personalities, whether it's music, um, whether it's uh, engineering, whether it's a school teacher, whether, I mean, all the different gift types, when you use those things to do 
what God is all about, unity, that's love. It's love. That gives us the second window to this thing, right? Uh, And so bear with me here. We define love by its positive attributes. Uh, I give you a gift. I give you my time. I give you my ear. We, we're so American, we, we think of love as a, as a verb. It's so active that way. When we understand that love is, a, is about binding things together, about bringing unity, we begin to understand that love has a lot of passive forms. Like Jesus with the Samaritan woman, choosing not to be discriminatory. Like the, the apostles come to Jesus and they're like, yeah, we, we, we know you've been talking about forgiveness, but um, I'm really pissed at this guy. When do I get to kind of cut it off and walk away and make it his fault? Jesus says 70 times 7, you pursue that guy until the relationship is reconciled because I want unity. I don't want a scar just to be walked away from and, and to, to, to be hanging there. And so it's not bringing that person a gift. It's bearing with them and suffering um, and focusing on it until that relationship can be reconciled. It's even saying, you know what? In my mind, you did 99% of the stuff. Um, but I, you know, I guess I probably did 1% of like, what happened. And it's choosing to go to that person and say, you know what? I could have handled it differently. It's laying down that sense of injustice, that victim status, and, and going to that person and bringing the olive branch and saying, look, I want the relationship. I could have done it differently. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And then the minute that person says, yeah, I forgive you, you know what happens next? Look, you know, I could have done my stuff differently too. Um, there's passive forms of love that build unity. That's why there's best practices in the church, if I want to use that language. There's best practices in business. There's also best practices in the church. When you have a disagreement with somebody, what do you do? You go to them. You hear their side of the story. In love, you don't walk away after that. You go and try and reconcile with other people who can be mediators, not go, hey, I've got someone on my side. You don't have someone's two against one. I win, hey. Like, you know what I'm saying? You're bringing somebody to help try and build that relationship back up. And if that won't work, you get a whole bunch of people and say, I'll submit to all of you. Help us figure this thing out so that we can come together. And the elders and the shepherds are taught that if 99 are are good and well-fed and in harmony, you run after the one that's broke off and and you try and fix that. And we always interpret it in terms of salvation, the lost sheep that way. Part of it is just lost and confused and hurting. Or that has a lot of issues against how the church beat him or her up early on in their life. And so they've walked and wandered. And it's, it's, it's a lot messier when we get in and love that person and when we try to build it back and restore it. Love is all about unity. We can do this. Uh, it's not about welling up emotions and welling up feelings. It's about going, wow, if we really bond together and take care of each other and and bear with each other, and even love our enemies, if we really promote unity to such a high degree, um, we'll actually have fruit. I mean, we'll, we'll be in relationship with each other. And people will know, wow, man, it's loving. They take care of each other, and they, if they wrong each other, they fix it somehow. And we'll, I mean, it's, it's kind of gets exciting for a little bit here. Because have you ever seen it? I joined a fraternity in college, and I can tell you what I was looking for. It's the same, you know, I thought I was going to find it when I joined a Christian group after I got out of the fraternity. I was looking for real, authentic community. 
And I don't care how many symbols you have, how many secret handshakes you have, um, how much you drink together, it doesn't matter if you don't have a heart that values togetherness above your own self, the interdependency above yourself. So when we submit to Christ, we're elevating others. That's why Jesus says, I'll give you the example of true love, that you get self so far out of the way, you're willing to die for somebody else. And he says, die, die for your friends. And he's talking prophetically about himself because everyone was his friends. He died for the sins of the world. So even John Wayne in the movie where he's so tough as nails, doesn't love anyone and no one loves him, the little kid comes along, melts his heart, and towards the end, he takes a bullet so that like the town can be saved. It's love. It's being changed and transformed so that this thing that's hard and bitter becomes a heart of flesh and says, God, I just want to be a part of this organic thing you're doing more than anything else, more than my own fruit, more than than my own agenda, more than my own significance. I want to abide in you, depend on you, and let you bring about the good stuff you want. I'll play the position you tell me to play. So there's a parable called uh, the goose that laid a golden egg. And what you do with a parable, if everyone knows it, is you slow it down and really tell it. Um, because it's different than how you normally tell it, which you go really fast because everyone already knows it. And when you slow it down and really tell it, then now you have to be forced to really listen. So I'm going to really slow it down. So there's a goose. The goose belongs to somebody. Okay, And that goose... There's a relationship, there's a belonging, there's a connection between the person who has the goose and the goose has, and that goose lays golden eggs every day, one a day. You come, find a golden egg. Wow, it's pretty cool. You go use it, sell it, whatever. The next day you come, there's a golden egg. But the person gets greedy for the fruit, for, for the, the outworking of this, for the golden egg, for the value, for the thing that gives that person something, that their desires get a hold of them. And the person says this to themselves, they say, self because it's a conversation just with self here. Self, I bet there's an egg inside that goose that'll come out tomorrow because there's one that comes out every day. So here's one for today, but I bet there's one inside the goose and that's the one that's gonna come out tomorrow. I could get that egg today. I could use that egg. I want that egg. It would give me pleasure to have that egg. I value that. And, and then that person eventually says, let me kill the goose get that golden egg. Ha ha. I have two golden eggs. This is amazing. I got what I wanted. I'm fulfilled. I'm satisfied. My cotton candy just came to me. I've got two golden eggs. And then the person wakes up the next morning. There's no golden egg. There's no value. There's no fruit. There's nothing that satisfies. That cotton candy for a moment brought pleasure and then was gone and we in America are I mean we're so driven this way that we define fruit and pleasure and satisfaction and wants and needs in so many unique ways that we although we love God and and want that too I've got my egg for today I want a I want a second egg oh I want this I want this one too I bet I can get this one too and so eventually we, we try to get this other thing to add to our faith and we disconnect from the power source, like pulling the vacuum cleaner out of the wall. And now all of a sudden what we were doing over here just died and withers. And, and the judgment and the irony was, wow, this had nothing to do with God. 
wasn't a part of his plan. The head didn't speak this into existence. The coach didn't put me here. This was not the purposes that he had, not the fruit that was going to bear him glory. I got greedy. And we realized that we have to remain in his love, that his love powers us and energizes us to not put ourselves first, but to to put his glory first, and therefore the health of his family. You want to honor me? You help me build up my family. I've got four girls. I'm terrified to death about them getting hurt or being wounded. I mean, I'm just terrified. Linda, Caitlin, there's others in this community. They come. They love on my girls. And and, and the smile that puts on my face, you wouldn't believe it. Sharon Wilkins came to the car, left like company in her house, which she probably shouldn't have done. Like, they're all alone in her house, and we're, like, parked in front yesterday. And she comes to my car, and she's, like, putting masking tape, like, all over my kids because that's how she plays with them, like, their mouths and their eyes. It's a really fun game. I don't know. I've never played it. But, like, Sharon's loving on my kids, and it brought me such joy. God says, you want to you wanna glorify me? Get yourself out of the way, your agenda out of the way. Throw your talents, your gifts, your skills, what I'm doing with you and in you, and and, and get into the dance. Get the rhythm, hear the music. I'm love, you be love, and it'll bind us together. And the more you do this, the tighter that bond will get, and the more the fruit will come, and the more you'll have genuine satisfaction. The more you'll realize, wow, this I can just savor. It's joy, not pleasure. It's there day in and day out. It's not cotton candy. It's wonderful. And we begin to realize God's plan is good. And we can sing and praise because we come in and we go, no matter what my circumstances are, I like being on his team. I don't care what the bruises are. I don't care what I miss out on. Being on his team, um, I, I want to do that in faith because I see how it works out and that it is satisfying. There's just no other place to be. And look at the community that's coming around. Wow, and you just get all excited and jazzed. I'll let you preach next week and you just can talk all about it. It's community. So the word today is love. It's not about you empathy people like, man, five gold stars and I'm jealous. The rest of you, The goal is the unity. You use what you got to do that. That's love. It's doing the program that God has for us. It's bearing the fruit that's going to bring him glory. It's loving his family, taking care of his family, bringing his family together, and he will always smile. So last week was faith. This week's love. Next week, we're going to talk about how that whole thing gives us a joy that that almost feels hedonistic. But we've got to marry that back and realize that when we submit to Christ— There's a life. He says in John 10, I have come to give you life and life to the full. I know how to play this song. You guys will know how to dance to it. Next week's joy. Father, I pray for this church. I pray for us as a family. I I pray for our weak faith. It's a muscle that's small and it's weak and it needs to grow in all of us. It's such a hard culture to stand firm in. It's such an individualistic, self-driven culture. We all struggle with it. Father, help us walk out of this entertainment mindset, out of this self thing, and and trust and submit that your love might spark in us a desire to continue this thing, to love back, to love others. May we go to Sudan and love people there. May we help Robin with a house and love orphans and widows and single moms. May we also go to that person that has wronged us, that we've wronged in reconcile relationship and show the toughest of all kind of love. 
the type of love where we put self completely away and we're willing to be wrong for the greater good. Just, Father, drive that love in us. Bind all things together in your son's name.